0: Have you ever pulled up to an intersection, you know, driving in your car and looked over at the car next to you and made a judgment? Uh, maybe you've pulled up and uh, a young adult's pulled up in a, a nice import, very expensive car. And the first thing that comes across your mind is, well, looks like daddy bought you a nice car. Have you been there? Or, or maybe you see somebody who pulls up next to you in just a tragic piece of work, Right? broken down, held together with duct tape, and you think, maybe maybe they don't work very hard. We don't want to say these things out loud, do we? But the reality is that there are things that go through our mind and even from our hearts that never come out of our mouth that are judgments about people. We may find ourselves uh, driving into campus town and noticing people of a maybe a different ethnic heritage or country or expressing themselves differently than way we would. And we make a slight, quick judgment. You know, we don't want to say these things out loud. But what we do need to publicly say today is we should do better. We can do better. And specifically, as followers of Jesus, we need to check ourselves because I think what we want to do is we want to think the best of others. Like deep down, we want, we want to wish more for others, not less. The best of people. Well, let me say welcome to week two of the separation of church and hate, and we have jumped into a message that has begun to talk about how we can address this not only political climate, but more specifically the relationships that we have in the people around us. Separation of church and hate. I'll remind you that we're not a political church. Uh, We're not going to try and change your view of who to vote for or, or how to vote, But what we wanna do is we wanna raise the challenge of how we will treat one another because there's so much more at stake than who is or isn't in an office. This season is so crucial for us to set a new standard about how we may treat one another and love one another. It's a moment for us to call each other out so that we might call each other up. We recognize that this is a difficult season. And so we want to pause and just say, how would Jesus challenge us in 2020, in the middle of COVID season and a political climate that is what it is, how might Jesus challenge us to live differently? If you've got your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go ahead and open them up. Actually, I'd really love for you to take a moment and open the First Christian app. I don't know if you've done that yet, but on your phones or your devices, you can download First Christian, Champagne or Urbana, uh, you can download the app there and you will find everything that you need to connect with us. Uh, whether you're here with us in Champagne, whether you're here with us in Urbana, or whether you're doing church where you are, in your home or car, work or play, you have a chance to uh, fill out connect cards, or give prayer requests, invite a friend, uh, take message notes and be able to track with what we're talking about today and even open the Bible app. If you would open up the First Christian Church app and join us there this morning, we can grow together in this process. And as we keep our notes, they'll be stored there for you to reference, whether you be in your group or the, you'll be in your own study time. But here's where we are. We've been using this series to tackle this goal. The goal is we can disagree politically and love unconditionally. That's our challenge, right? Though we may disagree, we are still compelled to love as Jesus would love. And this is so important for us because politics is so personal. And in this season, we need to be able to back it up and to be able to recognize the people that represent those values, stories, and expressions so that we might walk with them and be a relationship of love in a difficult time. We can disagree politically and love unconditionally, but this is really where our challenge is, uh, that we need to ask the question, are we willing to put our faith filter in front of our political filter? Now, last week we unpacked this for a moment, didn't we? When we talked about civility, we talked about how we should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry, that this is the algorithm of how we begin to live civilly with one another. Today, we wanna unpack the value of dignity. Dignity, being able to establish the value, the worth of all people. And decency, human decency begins when we embrace human dignity, when we hold the value of everyone. And no movement has probably championed human value more than Christianity. Yes, we've had our faults, our failures, and massive mistakes. But inherently in the DNA of Jesus is this recapturing of human dignity that's seen throughout Scripture. What what do I mean? I mean, you think about children. In the time of Jesus, uh, children were just kind of... uh, They were thrown off to the side, literally, because of the lack of value sometimes of children with special abilities or children uh, who were born female instead of male. Literally, that culture in that day could take a child to the outskirts of the community, an infant, and leave it. But Jesus, no. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. And he said, this is the kind of faith that we should have is a faith like a child. And Jesus was also the one that began to raise up the value of women. Oftentimes, unfortunately, women were seen as property. Unfortunately, in the culture and the day of Jesus, the tragedy was that women were seen as property as anything else that a homeowner may own. But Jesus Jesus intentionally engaged women. He invited them to be a part of his mission. He met them where they were and called them into his movement, his kingdom, and raised their value by recognizing who they were ultimately by God's design. The poor. The poor were often treated as if they deserved what they got. And so they were often outcasts, thought of as they have, they, they are getting what they deserve. They must have done something wrong in their life. But Jesus said, no, blessed. Blessed are the poor. They're the ones that will inherit the kingdom. They will inherit so much more than what we have today. Or even the prejudice of racism. Oftentimes in Bible times, those who look differently, acted differently, talked differently, voted differently. Uh, They were encouraged to be excluded. But Jesus, Jesus painted a portrait of heaven, of eternity, that is later described as a great multitude where every tribe, tongue, and nation was gathered together in celebration of God. Jesus recaptured our identity. He shaped the dignity for all of humanity. And he stands in opposition to ageism, sexism, classism, racism. Jesus captured the foundation of our identity. And our identity is secured through the work of the cross. We inherently know that scripture teaches us that from the beginning of creation, God himself placed the value and identity in man and woman, but sin came into our world and devalued us. System structures broke. Death came into the world. And only through the sacrifice of Jesus, his death, his burial, and his resurrection has our identity and our world begun to not only be reconciled before God, but restored to a new creation, a peace, a shalom back to us. Now, if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 10. And we're going to look at the story of Peter. Now, I say the story of Peter like this because there are several passages that reference this journey of transformation where Peter is going to begin to treat all people with dignity. But there's a series of relationships that he'll go through. uh, Some that God will bring to him, some that will come to confront him, and others that will help realign him back to the heart of God. Matter of fact, as you open Acts chapter 10, you find yourself meeting a man named Cornelius, an I, Italian centurion, a, a man uh, of great influence and wealth who is uh, fearing God or following after God. And God has placed it on his heart to go get this man named Peter. Now, the next day, Peter himself has a vision, right? He He steps into this vision where he sees a great sheet coming from the heavens and held from the four corners. There's every type of animal from from cattle to pigs to seafood, seafood, whatever it may be. All of it is filling this, this net or this sheet as it's being handed down. And he's in the middle of this vision. He begins to recognize that what is being presented to him and offered to him is something that has been traditionally not kosher, not appropriate in what he should consume in his life. And the challenge is, in the middle of this vision, he's hungry. Here's what it says, starting in verse 13. Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. This is God speaking into Peter's life. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Now imagine you're Peter for a moment, can we? Imagine you're Peter for a moment. And what you're understanding is is as a God-fearing Jew, the tradition of what you've been taught all throughout your faith is that there are certain foods you should and should not eat. They were forbidden to eat things like pork never tasted bacon, never had a pork chop. And God is now presenting something to him in a moment of need and hunger that is forbidden in his life. But God says, hey, hey come and eat. And he says, no, that, that, that's, not, that's, that, that's not how I'm raised. Is this a test, God? You can see the, the turmoil. And back and forth three times this conversation goes on. But there's a vision that's clear that's coming to him, that, that maybe there's a bigger picture that God is trying to teach Peter. And suddenly there's a knock at the door. Ironically, it's a few men that were connected to Cornelius. They've come to Peter's house and they've knocked to invite him to come to Cornelius. Now, Peter uh, is grown up in a Jewish tradition uh, and Cornelius has grown up in a Gentile tradition. And suddenly there's this metaphor, this vision that's in his life, that he's to eat things that are only kosher, but God is now offering something that is not kosher and saying, no, partake, eat, and don't call anything impure or unclean that I have called clean or I've made clean. Maybe this picture, this metaphor isn't so much about food, but more about people. As you continue on this passage, you begin to realize that uh, these men take him to Cornelius. And as they get to Cornelius's house, the room is filled with friends and family. And Cornelius throws himself at Peter's feet. Here's what it says though. Peter says this, but Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. Isn't this true for all of us though, really? While While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that this is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. But God, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. You get it? Peter's putting together this disconnect of who he used to be. Now in Jesus, he has a new found freedom. Who he used to be defined life and value one way, but Jesus is now defining life in a different way. And it is raising the value of the people that he's now connected in. Peter steps into a room, not just with Cornelius or a couple other men, but friends, family, and everyone is gathered around. And Cornelius, in a sense of reverence, throws himself in front of Peter. Peter says, stand up. But then he kind of says, now time out. You know, you know this isn't kosher, right? We're not supposed to hang out or visit. We're not even supposed to be in the same room together. But I'm learning I'm learning that God has placed dignity in all people and that he desires all people to know his love. This is new for him. As of yesterday, he was living in a mindset that was exclusive. Now today, he's seeing a mindset, a mission from God that's including people who seemed far from his understanding, people who thought differently, act differently, believe differently, are now being called into the kingdom of God with him. Here's what Peter says in verse 34. I now realize how true it is that God does not show what? Favoritism. God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right. You know, the message of God sent to the people of Israel is now announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Our God does not show favoritism. Do you understand that? Our God does not show favoritism. Our God, Jesus, does not show favoritism to anyone. God loves all people. Our hope is found in the person of Jesus. Our hope is rooted in a God who accepts people who they are, but brings them into relationship to grow them, transform them into the identity that he's intended for every human to experience in their lifetime. Scripture goes on to describe that God moves in the hearts of these people so much that Cornelius, his friends, his family, many of them are baptized on that day. They come to the understanding of who God is and the relationship that God desires that they would have. And immediately the passage says, they are baptized into Christ. And two conversions are seen that day. First, the people who are in the house. But second of all, the conversion of Peter himself. To recognize that the mission of God is the dignity of all people. That God loves all and wants to reach all. And God has a mission and a purpose for every life in his kingdom. Without this transformation in the people of God, where would we be even in this story? That God not only wants to reach the people of Israel, but wants to reach all people. Here's what it says then going on in Acts 11. Look though, because it doesn't all stay hunky-dory. Acts 11 then begins though, the apostles, that's some of the closest followers of Jesus, and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also received the word of God. This should be a good thing, right? People should be celebrating that the mission and word of God is spreading into all the world because that's what Jesus said, right? Go into all the world. But listen, Here's what it says, verse two. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went to the house of uncircumcised men and you ate with them? Isn't it interesting how word travels fast with church people? I mean, that's that's another message for another day. But look what's happening here, right? Uh, the word that stands out in this moment that maybe we need to define is the circumcised believer or the uncircumcised believer. Circumcision was part of the covenant that was a part of the nation of Israel. And it began to be a, de- def- a defining point for Jew or Jew or Gentile. Jews were circumcised, Gentiles were not. And what is happening is there are a group of Christians that are recognizing, hey, we were Jewish first and then came to faith. Shouldn't they have to become Jewish first before they become Christians? And so literally the tension point is, shouldn't they be like us? Shouldn't they be circumcised? And until they are, how can you hang out with them? Now, that's an awkward conversation to say the least. But what is trying to happen in this moment is religious leaders of an old way are trying to pressure a newfound understanding in a relationship with Jesus and the prompting of the Holy Spirit. They're trying to squelch it. They're criticizing him. And so there becomes this moment where Peter in a newfound freedom begins to back up. I mean, this is the passage where literally the early church begins to say, we should not make it difficult for people to come to faith. And yet this tradition is speaking back in. Peter explains his vision from God. No one should be considered unclean or impure when God has made them clean. Once again, God moves in the moment. Hearts are transformed and changed and they all live happily ever after. Nope. Not really, time continues. The gospel spreads to Antioch and goes to a multi-ethnic, multicultural community. God begins to reach people some 300 miles from Jerusalem where this conflict had happened. God is raising up and reaching new people for Christ. But what happens is Peter begins to drift. Peter's invited into a conversation where he meets Cornelius and God does an incredible work and raises up people who follow after Jesus. But these religious leaders come to Peter, they begin to chatter at him and he begins to fade back away. And so another religious leader named Paul, who he himself had his own calling of God to go and live out his faith to reach the Gentiles, He speaks of his encounter and the way he met Peter. Here's what he says. When Cephas came to Antioch, now we should not be surprised, the name Cephas is actually the Aramaic word for rock or for the nickname for Peter. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him, those are harsh words, face to face, because he stood condemned, meaning what he was doing was wrong. For before certain men came... For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back to separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas, the son of encouragement, the encouraging one, was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, meaning Peter, in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? And Paul, throughout scripture, uh, never worries about people's feelings. He tends to speak very candidly. But what he is doing is he's calling out Peter in this moment so that we can all be called up to raising the dignity, the value of all people because the love of God should be shared with all people. They should know God's heart. And so we begin to realize this truth about dignity That a lack of dignity is the absence of love, not just the presence of hate. It's the absence of God's love and God's people in love, of love, not just the presence of hate. You know, we've had some conversations as of late about how our church might be able to live and lead differently. Uh, Recently, I had bagels with a good friend of mine, a former elder of this church. He's a, a leader of leaders, a trainer of trainers. And he said, You know, I, I love that weekend that we had where we brought the two African American pastors from our community to our stage and we had an, a dialogue with them. Matter of fact, I, my community group stopped and paused and we talked about that dynamic and even wrestled with some of the tension points and it was all really good. But Danny, I, I have a question for you. Now, anytime somebody tends to encourage me and then say, I have a question, I get a little nervous. I mean, I get what's going on with Peter here because sometimes the methods and the approaches that we use as Christians, we can step out into a dangerous middle and sometimes it creates opportunities for criticism. And so I'm going to confess, I was concerned that criticism was gonna happen. So he says to me, Danny, I love what we did on that weekend. There was so much good, but I have a question. What's next? What's next? I mean, personally, I have, to, I have to be transparent and just admit, I'm embarrassed that I was concerned about criticism. I know this man. He, he's a man who has taught men, how to, men and women how to run towards the fires, to, to bring help, to bring healing to communities literally in his lifetime. And it's the very character why I love him so much that he understands that it's not just about our talk, but it's got to be about our walk. And so he begins to ask this question, what's next? Well, if we look at our passage, here's what's interesting. As Paul, the one who confronts Peter, he begins to speak about this freedom, about how we need to see our identity. He says this in Galatians 3. So in Christ, meaning in Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all who who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ, meaning Jesus. There is neither Jew, nor Greek, neither slave, nor free, nor, nor, nor male, nor female, for we are all one in Christ. If you belong to Jesus, then you are Abraham's seed. You are heirs according to the promise. Meaning Paul is saying, if you have given your life to Christ, you've been buried in the waters of baptism, you stand clothed as forgiven and restored, equal amongst all, that you are loved by God. You're a part of the family. It's in that moment that we begin to see the recapturing of what Jesus intended. It should tell us this. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, compels us to confront injustice, all injustice. And we do this through sharing God's love, a casting a vision of God's eternal hope, Not by trying to just stir up things in our current events. We must live out the gospel every moment, every day, in every relationship. The good news of Jesus in every area of our lives so that people will recognize that true hope only comes in a relationship with Jesus and that our value is not placed on what we wear or what we look like or what we drive or who's on our arm, but is in our relationship with Jesus and the dignity that he has put inside of every human life. The very early followers recognized that Jesus was establishing dignity much different than the cultural norms of the day. And regardless of their skin, regardless of their age, their gender, or their class, Jesus loved and valued all. Jesus is establishing the dignity of all people. He's beginning to raise them up. And so our friend asks, what's next? Well, what's next is we're gonna continue some of the things that we do. It is a value for us to be a loving community, that we would show outward compassion and that we would live out life-giving generosity. So as a church, we surrender and sacrifice ourselves by doing things like inviting a hundred special ability friends to come to a party or or to uh, invite foster families to our building, to relationship, to party at Christmas or to serve and support organizations like Salt and Light or See You at Home. We find ways to serve and care for families that are in need. We advance the gospel, whether it's in Japan or Kenya or next door. Over 10% of our budget is leveraged in to helping those in need. This is why we talk about how we must step into high hope communities and continue to build new relationships. This is why we reach out to like Wiley Elementary in Urbana to find ways how we can support teachers and care for families. This is why we're even gathering leaders of faith in the area on September 26th to invite our churches to pray at Lincoln Square Mall. This is why, this is why. We come together to find ways to impact our community, whether it be through healthcare or education, because we believe that the dignity of all people, first and foremost, starts with Jesus and mobilizing the people of Jesus. So here's the question. Here's the question. Most of us would say we're okay with dignity. Here's the question. Are we willing to build bridges instead of barriers? I want to give you three actions to wrap up our time together. Three actions that I think every one of us needs to understand because the way of Jesus speaks of dignity for all of humanity. It stands in the opposition of ageism, sexism, classism, racism, and Jesus recaptured the foundation of our identity through the cross. Here's our actions. First and foremost, if we're going to build bridges to establish dignity, we need to first and foremost identify our own prejudices if you're saying, I don't have any prejudices, you know, we make this statement, I don't have a problem with insert blank because I have insert blank friends. That doesn't pass anymore. We've got to challenge ourselves to recognize that we need to listen better and learn better. We need to understand other people's story in the midst of these hard times. Second of all, we need to intentionally build bridges. And what do I mean by that? where there is oppression, where there is hurt, where where there is awkwardness, we have to be the ones to step out first, to build the bridges of relationship. No longer can we be divisive or make loaded posts or make grand statements on social media and hope that somehow people will overcome our truth serum to understand our love of God. We need to find ways to, difficult, to engage difficult and personal conversations more directly. But third of all, we need to invest ourselves into people. The church can't afford to be distant. And we need to find opportunities, whether it's serving within the church, within our community with the church, or whether it's just being on mission with Jesus in our community, in our homes, work or play for him. Here's a thought. Proximity is key in this season. But leveraging a platform without proximity to people is just a soapbox. And frankly, too many of us are trying to drop the mic or make grand statements that have nothing to do about pointing people to Jesus, but just proving ourselves right. Peter's journey came from an invitation of an Italian centurion, was led to lead his family to Jesus, was challenged by religious leaders who thought an old way, was confronted by a religious leader on the same mission to remind us that we are the bridge from brokenness to healing in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So may we think of it this way. Here are the words of Paul that he said as he finished part of Galatians chapter two. He says this, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God, meaning Jesus, who loved me and gave himself for me. Friends, if we follow after the way of Jesus, we must recognize that our way of living is dead. It's been crucified that moment on the cross. And we are now called to live a life of love like Jesus. May you make that commitment today if you've never followed Jesus. May you surrender your life. And if you have made that commitment, may we continue surrendering our life every day to follow after him. Let's move to our time of response. I wanna encourage you, whether you're joining us here in Champaign or whether you're joining us in Urbana, or church where you are, whether it's at home, work, or play, I want you to grab your phone if you would. And if you've not had a chance, I want to encourage you to download our First Christian Church app. You can find it in one of your app stores under uh, First Christian, Champaign or Urbana. But it's important because on our Sundays, we have opportunities uh, to take next steps and what we just talked about was this idea of being crucified with Christ, that our life has been surrendered. Uh, the passages before talked about our death, burial, and resurrection through the picture of baptism. And I think there are many of us who have gone through relationships in our life that have been up and down at different times, but to know that our foundation is rooted in Jesus really takes place in that portrait of surrender, of being buried in baptism. So I encourage you to take out your phone today, and maybe there's that decision that needs to be made for the first time to stop and say, "I've surrendered my life to Christ, but never taken the act of obedience to surrender with Him," and and I want to make my I want to make my life be known that it's following after Jesus. Maybe it's a, a decision of prayer. Maybe it's a decision to. Uh, Begin to just figure out how to how to walk again in your faith with others whether it be through a group or an opportunity to serve But each of us each of us if we're going to be People who create change and reestablish dignity It's not just enough to stop posting what we're posting It's not just enough to stop spitting out the vitriol at each other We need to engage in a life of surrender before Jesus that is obedient in every area of our lives. It's in that moments of surrender, it's in that life of walking after Jesus that love begins to be the regular rhythm of our life. If you've had a chance to respond to your app, I wanna encourage you to go ahead and transition with me to the, our time of communion. And this is really kind of the centerpiece of our gathering today we are reminded that Jesus gathered his disciples together to institute a new meal. And where he took the bread and he said, you know, this is my body, it's broken for you. It was a picture of what was to happen on the cross. He encouraged them, he said, take and eat. He was telling them that his death, his broken body on the cross would become the payment for our sin. He said in the same way, he took the wine with a cup. He said, This is my blood poured out for you. He said, take and drink. He said, Do this in remembrance of him. Christians, not only here in Champagne or in Urbana or where you are. But around the world, gather in a meal where they pause to always be giving thanks back to what God has done. And when we consume the bread and we consume the juice, we are saying we are consuming the life of Jesus to live in a way that gives dignity, shares love, lives in the truth and the very character and nature of Jesus. The last way that we often encourage people to respond is oftentimes a difficult way to respond for many, but it's through our, through our tithes and offerings. You can use the app, there's an opportunity to go there, or use uh, to give online and to be able to be a part of that. But I think it's crucial that we begin to remember that our life should fully be on mission with Jesus, our time, our talent, and our treasure. It's, it's through that generosity of our life, of our time, and our talent, and our treasure, that what God is doing inside of us begins to take root beyond us. And so maybe today for the first time, you're going to give a gift, or maybe for the first time, you're gonna commit to a regular gift. But what I need you to know is this, is God's just asking for us, our lives, And what we want to do is to put to death the old life, to live fully surrendered back to God, whether it be our time, our talent, and our treasure. Because God can leverage every portion of our life for His glory and His honor. And we wanna see the mission of God continue to advance, even, or even more especially, through each of us.